Welcome again to the IDS Hour. I'm your host, Paul Honeycutt, joined as always by Jeff Oker. Jeff, we're well underway in a series which I was excited about because I like end times uh, topics and matters, and believe it or not, Revelation is one of my favorite books of the Bible. So we're in the middle of this. Today we're going to talk about something I think gets confused quite often, or at least misunderstood, and that is the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Well, you would like to think it's a one simple answer, but it's really <laughs> not. Uh, scripture speaks about the kingdom of God in two different senses, uh, the spiritual kingdom and the physical kingdom. Mm-hmm. Or as we were talking before we started this taping, the um, now but not yet, right. which is a very uh, good phrase describing much of end time stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in particular, this applies to the whole concept of the kingdom. So we'll explore it a bit and look at it from different angles. Um, but it, should, but it, it is a fascinating topic. Do Because what we're trying to do in this study, just to remind our, our viewers, is you know not just look at, rather than look at the various types of end times views and critique them, we're looking at various end times issues and talking about different views within that. So with the kingdom of God, would the various different, like say dispensationalists or post-mill or pre-mills, would they view the kingdom differently? Well, yeah, we would, I guess I should say on a popular level, from a dispensational point of view Mm -hmm. or a classical dispensational point of view, kingdom is a big deal. Okay. Because the kingdom is physical. Hmm. And you're, um, and so... The kingdom, the way classical dispensationalism works, Jesus offers the kingdom to Israel. They reject it. Then he turns and he get, then he opens it up to the Gentiles. Mm, okay. okay, so you have so that so that concept of kingdom within dispensationalism historically was a huge issue. Mm-hmm. Um, we embrace an amillennial point of view, uh, so that's really uh, there's. Even between us, let's say, in covenant theology, a new covenant versus covenant theology, there's not much distinction on that one. Post-millennialism, they're the kingdom. I'm sure it's probably both also the same thing. I mean, the emphasis is upon that there is this golden age that's brought on the earth by evangelism, Mm -hmm. could be revival, whatever, but so much of the earth becomes Christianized. Mm-hmm. That a golden age comes on the earth, right. and that is can be a, uh, you know, the uh, some sense the kingdom. But they would also embrace the kingdom in a spiritual sense. But we're going to just walk through some of the basic places in Scripture that talk about the kingdom of God, just to get a handle. How does the Bible actually right. handle it? Uh, start with the Gospel of Mark, and go to uh, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. I'm reading from the New NIV. Uh, and it says this, After John, that, that is the John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Quote, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So, depending on your translation, it could say the kingdom of God is at hand mm-hmm. or near. Here it says the kingdom of God has come near. All meaning the same thing. The idea, now, now I think from a New Covenant theology perspective, this, makes it, this comment makes a lot more sense. Because 
He's talking about a spiritual kingdom entering it when you believe you enter into the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's spiritually, Jesus is your Lord. So when you embrace Jesus, you embrace him as your Savior and your Lord. He is your king. Okay, well, that's pretty basic stuff. But here, when it says the kingdom of God has come near or at hand, mm-hmm. meaning the time for entering the real kingdom is about to begin, this presupposes that you understand that the old covenant with Israel is only a temporary picture of a physical kingdom, just as Israel is a temporary unbelieving picture of the people of God, that they're not the real people of God. So historically, the time for coming into the spiritual kingdom doesn't begin until Pentecost. Mm -hmm. Jesus comes and he introduces it. Then he goes to the cross then we have Pentecost, spirits poured out, thousands believe. We're often running in the new covenant era, the era of belief. Okay, that's why we have the Great Commission in the new covenant era. We don't have it in the old covenant era because the purpose in the old covenant era is not to find the real people of God. Israel, by definition, is the people of God. So, of course, when we're saying this, we always understand that in the Old Testament, there has always been a remnant of believers. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't the time for believing, which is why I typically get this question in conferences, you know, what did you have to believe to be a believer in the Old Testament? Like, what was the gospel message? Well, it's not clear. I mean, it really is not clear. We're groping a bit. Um, You go back to Abraham in Genesis 15, where God promises to give him an heir, because he doesn't have an heir, and Isaac is going to be his heir. God's going to cause Sarah to have a child when she's late in life. Okay, so he's he promises that, and then he's going to, says he's going to give them many descendants and take give them the land of Canaan. Okay, well that's pretty basic Abrahamic covenant. But it says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Well, I'm looking at that thinking, well, he just believed God's going to provide a need. An heir, and then he's going to give him a bunch of folks through that heir and take him into a land. Well, how is that the biblical gospel? Mm-hmm. And uh, it is, but Abraham, according to Romans 4, is a real believer. He has sins forgiven, he had a new heart, he's called a friend of God, but it's just not clear. Mm-hmm. So that's why when Jesus says, or at least it seems to me, that when he says, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time for entering the, the real kingdom, because Israel's not the real kingdom, is about to begin. We remember in uh, John 3, Nicodemus, mm-hmm. where Jesus is telling Nicodemus, I'm paraphrasing, of course, Nick, you're not really in the real kingdom. Mm-hmm. You're in the picture of a kingdom. But you have to be born of the Spirit, born again to get into the real kingdom. Right. That's the idea. So this phrase, you know, the kingdom of God has come near or it's at hand. The time for entering the real kingdom is about to begin. This is a significant thing in scripture. So becoming a believer is entering into God's kingdom. But it's, that's not, it's a spiritual kingdom. But that's, it's not clear before this in the mm-hmm. Old Testament. It's just not right, clear. Right. Um. But it's only in this sense. So when he, well, let me just read you this note. And this is the uh, Spirit of Reformation. It says, 
The kingdom is near in the sense that the coming of Jesus has begun to bring about its real, full realization. Yes. But that full realization is a whole bunch of years. So far it's yeah. 10,000. Yeah. But for the benefit of folks who are watching this thing, Paul is just mumbling over there. He's his favorite. He loves the Spirit of the Reformation I love it. Bible. It's my favorite Bible. You know, and uh, the notes are coming out of um, Ligonier, Sproul, Spro right. and that, and their covenant theology. Well, that's why I wear these glasses. These these protect me. These, those are his. These filter those out are the, his new the covenant, covenant new covenant glasses he wears. <laughs> and and if you said 1995, you know, we'll say no. We will send you those glasses. It's if you the, believe, it's even the old NIV too. If the you, 1984. Yeah, if you believe that one, but but. Once again, just while we're talking about the kingdom, from a covenant theology point of view, the Jews, the uh, Israel under the old covenant, that was the church in the Old mm. Testament. And so they were, they, you know, they, they entered into the spiritual kingdom. But that seems to miss, the. he talks about the fullness of the kingdom, right. the notes to the spirit of the Reformation mm-hmm. Bible. Well, we would say, no, it's not the fullness, mm-hmm. it is the kingdom. Because Israel wasn't the kingdom. The fact that there were a few believers in Israel, that's true, but they don't count in the, in the discussion. So the issue is old, old Covenant Israel is only a temporary picture of the kingdom, but not the real deal. Mm-hmm. Whereas now Jesus is introducing, because he's going to introduce the gospel, now the time has come to enter the real kingdom. But it's a spiritual kingdom. So that's... That's the idea on that one. Okay. Um, if you turned back to Matthew 13, uh, since we're talking about kingdom, this is, this once again, this is one of the favorite things that comes up when we're talking about parables. And we've talked about this. We've, we've done, you know, video segments on parables and podcasts, etc. But just to remind you, uh, as a very young believer... When I was became a believer halfway through my time at Penn State, mm-hmm. I know this uh, podcast is, I mean, this uh, session here is, uh, when it was recorded is not all that relevant. Of course, Penn State lost last night <laughs> by one point to Ohio State. I'm not bitter. No. No, not at all. <laughs> Once again, the sovereign will of God go. steamrolled over Penn State, but that's, we... we well, they're still in purgatory over all that mess from a few years oh, ago. Oh, yes. But in... In Matthew 13, uh, they, Jesus is asked the question, why do you speak to the people in parables? Oh, yes. Why do you speak to people in parables? And of course, when I, as a young believer, I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. That was a time of the Jesus movement. Lots of numbers of people involved. It was an emotional time. It was a very unique time. But, uh, and of course, I was taught, um, you know, I remember hearing words to this effect, that, of course, if you want to be a master, if you want to be a good teacher of the Bible to others, then we observe the master teacher, mm-hmm. Jesus. And, of course, Jesus, the master teacher, taught in parables. Therefore, mm-hmm. if you want to be a master teacher, you, too, will teach in parables. Well, that sounds really good. It's just not, not paying attention to what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. So, verse 10 of Matthew 13, he says this. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Okay, that's a good question. He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. 
Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of, of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. So what's he saying? I speak in parables to hide the message of the kingdom from the nation of Israel. Because he is... He's quoting Isaiah 6, where he prophetically he says he's, it is not his plan to save Israelites. Mm-hmm. We know he's going to save a small group of remnant, but as a whole, no, he's not going to save. But in this quote, what we do, we, we get an understanding that parables tell us something about the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Now, in this context, the idea that he's talking about how entering into the kingdom, it's a spiritual thing. And so when we read the parables, we pick up truths about the kingdom of God. Truths about, uh, so that's, uh, example, the parable of the sower, where it, it tells us, you know, that uh, what will be like for someone who's really in the kingdom? What will they be like? Well, they will bear fruit, okay, mm-hmm. that will last. Okay, uh, things like that. So that's something our purpose today is not to walk through parables. That's mm-hmm. not what we're going to do. But since we're talking about the kingdom of God, parables become a focus of attention when mm-hmm. you're talking about the kingdom of God because they tell you something about the kingdom. But their primary focus is the spiritual kingdom. And uh, so we, we ought to keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's also another passage that is interesting in Mark 10 before we switch our ten- attention to the physical kingdom. In Mark 10, pick it up in verse 13 through 15. Once again, this simply emphasizes that the kingdom of God is spiritual, uh, that when you believe you enter into the kingdom. It says in verse 13, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I, te- truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So we have to receive the kingdom of God like a little child, because he's talking about entrance into the kingdom. Mm-hmm. No, so it's not talking about the physical aspect of the kingdom, which is future, he's talking about entrance into it, therefore it has to be spiritual. And all he's saying is, of course, that you have to be like a little child. So then you ask the question, well, in what sense do I have to be like a little child, childlike trust, child is insignificant, you know, the Lord is everything, however you want to mm-hmm. look at that, but that's the point. So he's just talking about entrance, what you must be like uh, you know, to enter into the kingdom of God. Therefore, the kingdom is spiritual. Mm. Yeah, okay, so that part seems to be rather straightforward. Okay. So we have that. But if you want to flip over and, t- and talk about, uh, you know, the other aspect of the kingdom of God, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, when we talk about the physical kingdom, that is, when we die... If we persevere, then we will enter the kingdom of God. 
this is the most common usage of the concept of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, that the, we would might call the fullness of the kingdom, the physical kingdom, uh, but it's simply the kingdom of God in, in its fullest expression, which is, you know, you uh, ultimately it's the new heavens and new earth, all of that. Uh, but go to 1 Corinthians 6, and we'll, and we'll pick it up uh, in verse 9, where he says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not, will not inherit the kingdom? So the phrase, inherit the kingdom. That is, this is what you get as a result of your life. If you're a believer, you live for Christ, then you inherit the, king, the physical aspect of the kingdom. That's true. Or do you not know that wrongdoers, if, if you are living in sin as a way of life, that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adult, adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, nor those who attend a high estate, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So what he's saying is that if your life is not characterized by living for Jesus, if if this particular sins characterize your life, well, mm-hmm. that means you do not have the work of the Spirit of God in your life. That means Jesus didn't die for you and pay for your mm-hmm. sins. Therefore, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But he's talking about the kingdom in a future sense that is the fullness of the kingdom, the physical aspect of the kingdom. When you know, And I think he's sort of pushing you off to um, after the second coming. You know, you know, when you talk about the new heavens and new earth. Is the fact that he uses the term inherit play a role? In other words, you inherit things after someone dies. After, you know, that's the typical way you view that. So, not that once we die we inherit it, but that, that ultimately, um, does that have any pl- play a role in that, or is it just, just a term? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I didn't I read my notes yet. So. I don't think so. It's just the... the, the it could say receive. Yes, you could say receive. Okay. But inherit is that because... I suppose... No, no, no. I'm really trying to be fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Jesus dies for us, everything we have is because of what he did for us. Sure. In that sense, we are in Christ. Right. Okay. And he dies so that we he, we, per, we get forgiveness of sins, uh, you know, this transforming work of the Holy Spirit, and we inherit the kingdom of God. Right. The future but, kingdom. But here, it strikes me, I mean, he's talking to believers. Profess, so he, he's profess, talking, yeah. yeah, professed believers. But so, so it's not, a, it's not you know, you will be saved kind of thing. This isn't really that. It's more, so long as you're, you know, if, you're really, if you really are one of mine and you're acting like it, so to speak, bad paraphrase, then you will inherit. Because it is, the, the point I'm, I'm driving at is it does, we are talking future not yes, present. absolutely. See, right. that's the point. I think it is. If we, if we were talking about the spiritual kingdom, it'd have to be present. Right. This is future. This is if this is an if-then proposition. Right. If your life looks like this, you do not inherit. Right. That's really, it's negative. You do not inherit the kingdom of God. And you sort of see, just, you know, 
Glimpses of James almost in the yes. section. Yeah, like faith without works right. is dead. Right. So if you profess to have faith but not a transformed life works, mm-hmm. that means Jesus didn't die for you. Right. See, this is all based upon um, the concept that Jesus actually died for you. So if we think in terms of Hebrews ten fourteen, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy, mm-hmm. that you get... He has made perfect forever. That's forgiveness of sins. Our being made holy, that's the work of the Holy Spirit transforming us. You get both of these things. If you truly believed, you get both of these things. 1 Corinthians 6 here, this section we read, is a denial that you've received this radical, life-changing work of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And we've talked about that, that a believer, because you're in the kingdom, if you're a real believer, you are in the kingdom, Because you're in the kingdom, you cannot miss this transforming work. Now, we know those believers, we get caught in sin, or at least Paul does, you know, that we know, we all know that one. But but the Holy Spirit makes all of us miserable when we're Mm -hmm. caught in sin. I mean, we're all that way when we have a bad attitude. He makes you miserable, and and then he increases the misery factor until you just raise the white flag and you repent and Mm -hmm. change, which is wonderful for us as believers, which that means that we will never be content to stay in our sin, which is a good thing. So this idea of the future aspect of the kingdom, the physical aspect of the kingdom, the fullness of the kingdom, is really the most common uh, understanding uh, of kingdom that mm-hmm. we have in the New Testament, not exclusively, because we spend time talking about the spiritual aspect. Remember when uh, Jesus was talking to Pilate, and Jesus says, "You know, my kingdom is not of this world." Yeah. Now he's referring to the spiritual kingdom, because there is a sense in which his kingdom is of the new heavens, new earth. Mm-hmm. It is physical, but not now, not till after the second coming. Right. So this is a good discussion. Um, so when we talk to believers, or even we talk to unbelievers, we give them the gospel. We're talking, we're giving them the invitation to enter the kingdom right. of God. And of course, when you say kingdom, you're you cannot miss this concept of the king, the lordship of Christ, uh, where Matthew, you know, uh, was a, Matthew eleven talks about being yoked to mm-hmm. Jesus, that we willingly are yoked to Jesus, take on his lordship. That is. That is, embrace him as our king. Right. As our king. All right. Got it. So then we, you, could, you could sum it up by simply saying that uh, all believers are citizens of the king. Yes. The kingdom of, the kingdom of God, the kingdom yeah. of heaven, however you like to say it. From the point of salvation forward for all eternity. Right. You are absolutely. As soon as, because it's... In 1 John 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, this is how you know... Um, or I, I, let me just actually just read it, to not muck it up like I tend to do sometimes in my old age. Uh, but of course, I am acknowledging that Paul is older than I am, but we won't discuss this on camera, where he says in verse 10 of 1 John 3, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Child of God, child of the devil. That is, in, we can understand this in kingdom terms. Child of the devil 
is really, you know, Satan is their king in the sense they are, they are committed to rebellion. Well, he's the, the king of rebellion, whereas the believer is submitting to Jesus as their king because they want to pursue holiness, to live for him. So, and, and it's obvious if you're in the spiritual kingdom because your life will show it. Mm-hmm. That's why it says in here, uh, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. It's by, it's by their lives. He says it's like it's rather obvious, observable. Children of God, children of the devil, because children of the devil, devil's like the king, versus children of God, Jesus is your king. So you, you're you going to obey somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to live for somebody. Well, like my favorite Bob Dylan song, got to serve somebody. You do. Everybody's got to serve somebody. Yes, you do. You do have to serve somebody. Right. Well, if you have questions about this topic, and you may very well, because it is something that can be confusing to many people, uh, you can always go on our website, ids.org, and uh, look for more information there. Or, if you prefer, and you're in a hurry, you can contact Jeff. My uh, cell phone number is 480-313-8558, and my email address is volker.jeff at gmail.com. Just remember that the Jeff is with the G-E-O-F-F. Thanks for watching.